speak to our hearts, Lord, this morning. Write your laws in the deepmost parts of our inner man. Unburden your spirit to us, O Lord, this morning. Show us what you are speaking to your church specifically at this hour of time. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, one man of God uh, was asked this. He, this is, that's his testimony. He said that he likes to preach at funerals more than at weddings. And he said something very interesting, observation, which was remarkable. He said that at weddings, it seems that everything is coming together. But when you come to the funeral, it seems that everything is falling apart. And it's something which I work in the church office, okay, and Raja and Apu pass by my door every time when they go to the hospital. So I just looked at them and I said, please pray. I said, okay, I'll pray and send you. 24 hours later, things have changed. It's unbelievable. Things just fell apart. At least, apparently. And that man of God goes on to say, it's during the funerals we realize that things are actually coming together and not falling apart. Because we make more sense of God in tragedy than when we are happy. So, just want to look at this verse. Psalm 119 verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I, would, I, I went astray. But I now I know your word. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. That's remarkable, isn't it? How can God be faithful when everything seems to be falling apart? With every affliction, we learn something of God, and then we learn something of ourselves. We learned something about Job's wife when affliction struck her. We learned something about Job when he was afflicted. Sometimes it's very easy for us to be very hard on Job's wife. Just imagine a mother losing all her seven children in one shot. And for what? What was their mistake? What was their fault? She would have looked at the life of her husband and she would have said, you know what, this righteous man, he deserves this. He served you, was faithful. Even in his heart, he would think, perhaps my children have sinned against you and he would have offered burnt offerings every time they had a feast. He deserves this? What's the whole point of living this righteous life? And she said, curse God and die. That is her character. Sometimes we are tough on her, but just imagine. Just imagine losing your own, own, own loved one. Just imagine, no? You know, um, Raj didn't see, I mean, Apu didn't see the baby, but 
a full grown baby. Just gone. It's gone. You know, sometimes um, for us, death is like statistics. So many people died. 52 people died in a tsunami. 45 people died in an earthquake. Terrorist attack, 75 people died. These are all statistics. And we are bombarded by so much of murder and strife and violence and sickness. Sometimes we are so insensitive to death. Until it comes home. That is when we start thinking. Lamentations 3, 31 to 33. For the Lord will not cast us off forever. Though he causes grief. It's remarkable. He causes grief. Yet he will show compassion. According to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly. Nor grieve the children of men. You know, one of the things that I looked is it was something which I think was remarkable, but it had to take a tragedy to work in us as a church. In First Corinthians chapter twelve, verses twenty-five to twenty-six, that there be made no division in the body, but the members may have the same care one for another. If one member suffers, what? All suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. See, it is very easy to rejoice when one member is honored. I'll tell you how this happens. In 1979, the government, I mean not the government, Nobel Peace Prize was given to Mother Teresa for her incredible work of humanity. 1979, she was given the Nobel Prize uh, for peace. And suddenly, the Indian government awakened. Oh, she is our, ours now. So then very next year in 1980, they said, okay, fine, Bharat Ratna. For Mother Teresa. Why? When somebody gets honored, Maud, my man. It's interesting, there was one guy who got the field medals in mathematics in 19, that's 2014 if I'm right, Anshul Bhargava from Princeton University. Suddenly everybody in India, our Indian, and they started giving him honorary doctorates from IITs and IISCs and HCUs and all the other universities. Why? Because the moment you have one member of India getting honor, everybody wants to join and say, what about suffering? Think about that. You know what? When one suffers, do we all suffer together? That is something which, thank God, you know, in some sense I saw that microcosm of that in our church the last few days. People started Stopped thinking about themselves for once. And started thinking about somebody else. Started laying aside all their petty differences and coming together and praying. Started looking at the bigger picture. I thank God for that. We should thank God for that. But did it have to take a death? That's the question that I want to ask ourselves. I mean, it's honestly, this is the first normal death that had happened in our church. It was protected all these 11 years. Most of the deaths that have happened was because of old age. But in our church, it came home or of because of sickness in LHL. But it came home 
so close to us. And I was thinking, I was thinking, I was just thinking about it. You know, it didn't hit me yesterday. You know, the, the mother brought the dead body completely covered. No, I, it didn't hit me. But in the morning, I was thinking, just imagine my own daughter, if that would have been her case, what would happen to me? Think about that. My firstborn. And I just imagine about that. No, just imagine firstborn is gone. How much it would have grieved the heart of God to let go of his firstborn. That's remarkable. He allowed him, he who did not know any sin, died on the cross for my sin, the firstborn. And I I was asking God, do you even understand, Lord, what they're going through? He said, I understand much better than you because I allowed my firstborn to die on the cross. So we suffer together. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love, say that. Really? By this, all will know because of the preaching from the pulpit. No. By this, all will know by the kind of social work that we do outside and impact the society. No. By this all will know by the way that we love one another. Stop looking at faults. Looking at need. Stop pointing fingers. Looking at need. It's so easy as Sister Elsa was praying to point fingers. We'll come to that. Let's suffer together. Why? Proverbs 17, 17 will say, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for what? So if we are brothers and sisters in Christ, what are we born for? Adversity. That is when our love will be tested. When tension and pressure comes, our love will be tested. It is not when everything is going well. It is when it will bite our pockets. And we have to put everything on the altar and say, Lord, what I do for my own, I will do for my brother. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6. Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. You know, it's very interesting, right? In uh, in Luke's gospel chapter 18, it says that uh, this importune widow is going and knocking at the judge's doors day after day and praying and, and saying, Give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. And finally the unrighteous judge will relent. And you know what Jesus says? When the son of man comes, will he find this kind of a faith that we will knock on heaven's doors for our brother? There are friends who destroy each other. But real friends sticks closer than a brother. You know what? That is the reason why Jesus said, I no longer call you my servants. I call you what? Friends. I think the hour of testing has come for us as a church. We hurt so much. How much, how many of us will just lay aside every difference and just come together and say, Lord, I want to uphold my brother, my sister in prayer. Or is it, is it just a statistic? 
1 John chapter 4 verses 19 to 20. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must also love his brother. So this morning, I just want to encourage all of us, ask God for that burden. You see, we cannot manufacture this in our own strength or in our own flesh or even in our own intellect. It's impossible. God has to give that to us. He has to break our hearts. You know, you know, when, when we have, you know, when we have actually owned our church as our own, when our heart beats for somebody. You know, I remember, my daughter is not here, Emmanuel, when she went into the table to take that coin, it was a very simple operation, okay? When the doctors were saying all kinds of things, you know, it got, it can get stuck in the throat and it can get stuck here, it can get stuck there, and they were giving her anesthesia and she was lying on the bed, absolutely unconscious, and they were beating her like that, whenever, just to ensure that she doesn't, um, uh, yeah, you just uh, go unconscious, okay? And, and, and I was looking at that, you know, something, my heart just broke, and I was saying, you know what, will our heart break like that for our own sister? You see that? When it comes home, that is when our questions, we should ask ourselves those questions. You see. One of the things that we'll understand when we do that, when we go through this time of testing, my, my belief is this, my belief is this, I was actually, you know, I was worshipping, you know, I was thinking about all those miracles that Jesus did, right? A centurion would come and say, Lord, heal my servant. And Jesus says, I'm coming. And he says, Lord, just speak your word. And I was saying, Lord, I read all that. I read all that, Lord. But Lord, do I really believe that for my sister now? I read that. I was just crying out, Lord, let that become a reality for us as a church. You know why? Because when we humble ourselves like that, we experience God in a different level altogether. It says in Psalm 34 verse 18, it says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. You want to experience God? Very close to you. Be broken. Yes, we grieve. Yes, we mourn. But for us, grieve and mourn is with a purpose. In First Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 to 18 it says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. I like that. Lest you grieve or sorrow as others who have no hope. Let me tell you something. There are two extremes in Christianity. One, one set of people will grieve at the drop of a hat. And the other set of people who cannot be moved. For so hard in their hearts. Those are two extremes. But you know, just imagine, no? What did the people give Jesus except nails and a crown of thorns? But you know what scripture says? He had compassion on the same crowd who said crucify him. That's remarkable. That's remarkable. He grieved. 
It says in John's Gospel chapter 11, it says, Jesus wept. Why did he weep? You know why? Because he was a man and he was touched by the feelings of their infirmities. He was going through that. Two people asked the same question. Martha came and said, Lord, if you would have come, my brother wouldn't have died. You know what, what Jesus said? Martha, if you believe, if you believe, those who believe in me will not die. Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? You know why? Because people like Martha think that their own works will attain salvation for them. No. And the same question is asked by Mary. Lord, if you would have come, my brother wouldn't have died. You know what he says? He says he wept. Two people ask the same question. One person does not trust in her own works. The other person thinks because of her works, she deserves the presence of God. See, when we grieve, we grieve. Jesus also grieved. He's touched by the feelings of our infirmity. So we grieve by, as those people, not as others who don't have hope. Because they're only fallen asleep, you see. For if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Let me ask you this question. Do we grieve like this? And if if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Where is your hope? Is it in Christ? Psalm 42, verse 5 will say, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted? Why are you grieving? Is it because you lost your hope in God? You have hope in something else. Yes, we grieve. But our grief is not because we have people of, because we, we are not a people of hope. It says in Acts chapter 7 verse 60 that Stephen fell asleep. But did they stop mourning for him? No. Devout men came and carried Stephen to his burial and made a great lamentation for him. They mourn. But like people who have hope. This morning, even I was thinking over this, over, over today's message and I was saying, Lord, I wish, I wish pastor was here. <laughs> he handles these things very well. I wish he was here a part of our service. But what are you teaching us? I want to deliver your heart to your people. And there was one man we know, like Sister Elsa was praying, one man who mourned, who grieved, who was comforted. And we want to look at that one man. And why did he get that comfort? And we learn those lessons. You see, when people are gone, they have fallen asleep. The lessons are not for those people who have fallen asleep. The lessons are for us who are still alive. We have to learn. So what is that God teaching us through this all? You know, not even a day old baby. I mean, this is just dead from the mother's womb. How do we handle that? What is the reason? How, how do we just get, make, us, make sense of all of this? We just have to look at scripture. Look at one man, and I want to look at his life. And of course, all of us know who that man is. It's in Second Samuel chapter 12. Let me read from verse 5 onwards. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done 
this shall surely die. Have you seen this before? Shall surely die? Let us see. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not. Isn't it interesting? The guy who stole will be put to death. The guy who murdered will not die. That's the mercy of God. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. What is the first lesson that we learn from here? The death of this child is not judgment or the penalty for sin. It is a consequence of sin. Let me tell you what this is, what that means. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 16 will say, And the Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat, you shall surely die. Everybody died when one man sinned. But let me tell you, the penalty for Adam's sin was eternal separation. But the death that he died was not eternal separation. It's only a consequence of his sin. Let me explain this to you. In Romans chapter 5, let's read from verse 12 onwards. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law was, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him which was to come. What does it mean? When Adam sinned, he died, meaning he was separated from God. Sin means, I mean, the death in Hebrew is separation. He says, on the day that you eat, you will surely die. And Adam disobeyed. And because he disobeyed, everyone after Adam will also die. And he says, not only that every man after Adam will also die, those people who did not sin like the way Adam sinned will also die. Now let me ask you this question. Who are those people who die without sinning? Can you give me? Excuse me? Babies. Infants. What did they do? What did they do? They died. You know why? It is a consequence for their sin. Consequence of Adam's sin. Not judgment for Adam's sin. It is a consequence of Adam's sin. But if you trust in Jesus, who became the penalty for our sin, even though we die, we will still live. That is what he's trying to say through David. David, you will not die eternally. But the, the child, which is a consequence for your sin, will die but you will not be separated from me eternally. Because you know what? Your sin will be taken by me. That is the first lesson that we learn. What, it, what does it tell me? Every time we see something like this happening, God is asking us to repent. That is what he's trying to tell us. Look, look at Luke's gospel chapter 13. 
They were present at that season, some who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you support that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? Think about it. No 40 people in Kashmir die. Do you think that they are worse sinners? And you know what Jesus says? Look, Look at what he says, the answer. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So why do accidents take place? Why do we have death because of sickness? Why do we have all that? It is a consequence for our sin. We need to recognize that. Death is a parable. It is telling us, you know what, the way that you died, you would be eternally separated. There's no coming back again. You know, we have a student in our school. His name is Phineas. Very, is as old as, uh, uh, one year elder to Emmanuel. Six years old. He's going to turn seven very soon. So, like, we were having a burial service, right? So we said, okay, don't bring children. Because we don't want children to see that. It's going to be a little traumatic for them, right? So, but then we had uh, Sudhakar and his, I mean, that is Phineas's father and mother, bringing their son, six-year-old son, and their five-month-old son to the burial service. They later told my wife, and I asked them, I mean, why did they bring Phineas to the service? You know what the parents said? They wanted to teach their child Right from childhood, once you get into the grave, no coming back again. Let it be ingrained into their minds even now from their very young age that they will not take sin lightly. I was thinking that was wise. That was really wise. For us, we want to hold our children away from all the trauma and everything. You know what? They said, you know what? Let them them see it. Let them see it. Because once they see that, There's no turning turning back again. So 18 on those whom, so the accidents on whom the tower fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners? No. You know, I have a cousin of mine. Cousin is about, was about maybe, he was teenagers, late teenagers. He was in late teens. And then he had a very close friend of Rishi. Very close friend of Rishi. They were all together in a band. On the same bike. They were going with such tremendous speed. They met with a head-on collision. My cousin escaped, but the other guy died. Now the question you need to ask is, was my cousin a better guy than the other person? No. You know what God was teaching all of us as a family? If you don't have a lifestyle of repentance, the way that happened to this guy will happen to you eternally. It was a parable. So we need to learn those lessons and we become serious about these things. We become sensitive to what God grieves over. We don't fight over petty things. We become sensitive to these things, Lord. In my heart, don't please you, Lord. Don't please you. I want to deal with it with an iron fist. I don't want to point fingers at others. We'll come to that very soon. Second Samuel chapter 12. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is. This is after seven days of fasting. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, 
went into the house of the Lord, worshipped, went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him. And he ate, and he ate. And his servants said to him, what is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was while he was alive. But when the child is dead, the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether the Lord will, whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not have. You see the confidence of David? He arose. If you remember that sermon, it's on the, on YouTube, GTC Hyderabad, listen to Pastor James's sermon on, uh, Pastor Vijay James's, uh, memorial service. He arose. He washed his clothes. He anointed himself. He changed his garments, washed his clothes, anointed himself, went to the house of the Lord, worshipped, came back, ate food, comforted his wife. And you know why he could do all that? He had this assurance. I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Yes, my son died because of the consequence of my sin, but one day I will see him because my sin has been taken away. Now tell me, what gave David that kind of an assurance? What was that assurance that he had? Why did he have that kind of an assurance? What grief, the death of a child caused a change in his heart and that gave him that assurance. I want to look at that today. I want to examine ourselves today this in the light of that truth. That David comforted Bathsheba. His wife went into her and lay with her. So she bore a son and called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him and he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedediah because of the Lord. The question I want to ask ourselves is, the reason why David had that assurance is because of his repentance. The question is, have I truly, truly repented from the bottom of my heart? Does my repentance, when I check my repentance and when I see David's repentance, is there any, any, any comparison at all? Or is my repentance superficial? Let me check. Let us check in the light of that word. In the light of that truth. Let us keep that in the back of, back of our minds. And let us meditate on scripture today. Have I repented truly? And the greatest psalm we all know in the context of this great tragedy that happened to David. We all know that psalm. What psalm was that? Psalm 51. We all know that, right? So let us read the psalm. We'll read it from the beginning. From where will we read it? From the beginning. We'll read it from introduction. We'll read it from headings. Psalm 51. So, how do we read Psalm 51? We don't go from verse 1. We go from the introduction. To the chief musician. A psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him, after he had gone in to Bathsheba. That's how it starts. You know how the psalm starts? It starts by David declaring to the whole world his sin. No, it does not mean that we should go to the whole world and start confessing our sin. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this one principle of repentance. What happened to him when he saw the death of his child? One thing happened. You know what? He said, Lord, I can't hide from God. It's like Jonah running away from God. There's a storm, raging storm, fast asleep and he's deliberately in sleep because he, don't want to, he doesn't want to confront his sin. Ultimately, people wake him up. And you know what they said? 
awake or sleeper, what does it mean by you sleeping like this? That's what they ask him. You know what Jonah says? I can't run away from God. My God will confront me. And especially, you know something? God is more grieved over the sin in his children than the ch- than, than over the sin which is in the world. He is more grieved over the little, little sins in the lives of his children than the big, big sins that we see in the world. What it tells me is this. The first principle of genuine repentance is this. Psalm 28 verse 13. He that covereth his sin, read that, shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh, obtains mercy. The first principle of repentance. Lord, I don't want to hide. I don't want to be a hypocrite. This is what I truly am. That is the reason why it says in First John, John chapter 1, it says, look at this man. There is no deceit, Israelite. Psalm 32, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute any iniquity and in whose spirit there is no what? Guile or deceit. There is no covering. Absolutely, just as I am. That's the reason why we love that hymn, right? Just as I am, without one plea. That thy blood would cleanse me. I come to thee just as I am. I'm not hiding any of my sin. The first principle of repentance, I don't cover. I acknowledge it. That is the reason why it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what it it tells me is this. You know what? I don't care about what people think about me. I was trying to hide what I truly am. I don't care. You know why? If God has accepted me, how, how does it matter if anybody else Says, calls me or, what, or whatever kinds of name they want to call me. John's Gospel chapter 4 verses 28 to 30. So the woman, this is the Samaritan woman. So the woman left her water jar, went away into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. She went and told, this is what I did. He knows. This morning, are we a set of people who's trying to cover our sin? Now that baby is in heaven. In the presence of the Lord, for sure. You know, it, why, why, you know why I have that assurance? It says that in one, in first Chronicles chapter, sorry, first Corinthians chapter seven verse 14. It says, the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the believing wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the believing husband. Else, your children are illegitimate, but now they are what? Holy, set apart. Now think about it. If one husband, believing husband can sanctify an unbelieving wife, and if a believing wife can sanctify an unbelieving husband, how much more two believing parties? You know what? That child is wholly set apart for God. Is right in the presence of the Lord, singing and dancing. I'm sure about that for sure. But the point is this. Will we have the same assurance that like, like that little child has? You know, will we have that? When we don't hide our sin. First principle, don't hide. Don't hide your sin. Don't hide, my dear brothers and sisters. Don't hide. You know what? When we get all these, that, that day everything will come out. It says in Romans chapter 2, it says, that day God will judge the secrets of men's heart by my gospel. Nothing that you have spoken in secret, everything that has been spoken in secret will be blown from the housetop. So the first lesson that God teaches me is, you know, Vijay, don't try to cover your sins. Take sin seriously. Take sin seriously. John's gospel chapter 3 verse 17 and verses 19 to 20. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him and this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. 
That happened, that's what, that, that's exactly what happened to the Pharisees. Look at what it says in John's Gospel chapter 12. A very tragic scene. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. You see that? They didn't want to confess. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man than the approval that comes from God. You see that? Because they loved the approval. They didn't want to look bad in the eyes of the people. That's the first principle, my dear brothers and sisters. Don't hide our sin. Let us just go to God and say, Lord, this is what I am. Lord, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to play, I don't want to play games with you. I don't want to play games. I don't want to show people what I'm not. See, I just want to come out clean. First principle, I don't want to be a hypocrite, Lord. I want to come out clean in my life. Second, second principle, have mercy upon me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender tender mercies. Blot out. Ah, read that, everybody. My transgressions, wash me thoroughly. My iniquity, cleanse me from. I acknowledge my sin is always, you know what that means? Stop pointing fingers, take responsibility for your own action. So when everything goes bad, you know what happens? The first thing, the blame game starts. People start, they'll say, you did it, you did it. And it starts right from the childhood. You see, when we look at children, it might look very cute. But just, you have to imagine the child when he, he or she is 30 or 40 years old. You know, uh, for example, in my home, I have two children, right? I said, who did this? This is how it happens. Who did it? She did it. She did it. Why did you do this? No, these days I'm becoming very, very patient with children. No, I don't want to uh, say a time out, etc. Because it's not going to work. Yeah, it's not going to really work. If I say time out, etc., they'll be they'll become even more uh, stubborn. It's not going to work. Okay, and believe me, trusted, it. it's tested and tried. So the other day I was asking two children in our school, and I said, "Why are you guys doing this like this? Why are you becoming so mischievous and naughty? What is this? You know what they say? Logical and justification." Pointing fingers in a beautiful, sophisticated manner. You know what that one person says, one girl will say, you know, those two girls over there, they tempt us. They say, Pastor Vijay will not say anything. Do it, do it, do it, it's okay, it's okay, do it, do it, do it. So I get tempted and I do it. It is not my fault, it is her fault. Please tell them not to tempt me. You know, after that, I came home and I said, Jacinth, what do I say? You know what it tells me? This is exactly how we are. Lord, God said, Adam, Adam, where are you? Did you eat? This woman. Eve, serpent. He's got, he's very good at geometry. Adam, no? He knows right angles. This woman, you gave. Right hand rule. Not my mistake. Finally, it's my fault, but this woman, you gave, therefore I sinned. The other person, the serpent, you created, I sinned. Nobody's taking responsibility. You know what David is saying? Lord, my sin, 
my transgression my iniquity my sin that's it i don't want to point fingers at anybody i want to point fingers at myself i am responsible for my mess blessed is a man who says that my dear brothers and sisters you know isaiah puts this beautifully in isaiah chapter 58 verse 9 then you shall call and the lord will you want god to answer you when you call him you shall cry and he will say the lord is close to the broken hearted if you take away the yoke from your midst and the what and the pointing of the finger you see second rule don't point fingers at others take responsibility for your action don't ever say you know in in all your confession remember that old example that we hear in our church there was this man who was in uh, who was his who's the king and he dressed himself like a prisoner and he was visiting all the prisoners uh, prisons and then he goes into one of these prisons and he's asking this question to everybody uh, why are you here not my fault my lawyer messed me up not my fault my wife messed me up not my fault my husband messed me up not my fault my neighbor messed me up and there was one guy who was there and very sad very remorseful and he asked him why are you here my dear brother you know what he said i am responsible i did this you know what he said immediately the king took away his robe and he said took away his disguise and he said remove this unrighteous man from this place otherwise he will spoil all these righteous people this is exactly what he said because you know what it's so easy to point fingers the pointing of fingers pointing fingers you know very sophisticated ways we point fingers god says you cho- you change the question we ask is read that ah why should i be the first to change uh, that's actually the title of a book by a lady called nancy missler chuck missler's wife she died uh, in 2017 chuck missler passed away 2018 a key to a successful marriage title why should i be the first to change so i started reading that book and she tells me you know she gives a testimony in that book she was having a very rough time with her husband both of them believers okay believing couple believing couple rough time with her husband and both of them are having arguments because they cannot agree upon certain things and the things were getting bad towards they're not praying together they're not coming together as a family they're not praying they're not seeing the face of god the marriage is almost falling apart it had a semblance of godliness but no power and then one day she said lord what's going on and the lord spoke to her from colossians and ephesians and first peter chapter 3 submit to your husband submit to him without saying a word and she said lord why should i be the first to change and the lord said if you do this see what happens to your marriage you know what she did from that day onward she stopped arguing with her husband the husband would come home she would make the best meal possible she would make the table ready best meal kind he would lose his temper she would not answer him back always kind and whenever she's she is hurt by her husband she would go into the secret closet and weep to god wipe her tears come back happened day after day after day after day and one day the husband came and asked her 
in the dining table. He was about to eat his meal. Chuck Missler threw his fork down and he said, tell me what's up. I read that book. I said, this is something which I should give my wife. Because, you know, it's how subtle we point fingers. She needs it. You know what the Lord said? She didn't see the book first. You saw it. That is how we point fingers at others. Stop pointing fingers. Take responsibility. That is how he repented. You know what he said? Lord, not that lady who was, why should she go, Lord, bathe herself and show herself naked? Doesn't she not know that the king is there? Maybe she's, she's having that secret inkling in her heart to attract me. No? Nothing? Nothing? Nothing. Lord, my fault, my mistake, my sin, my transgression, my iniquity. That is the reason why he had that hope. You know why he had that hope? I will go to him and he will not come back to me. You know why he had that hope? Because he repented this way. He took responsibility. He didn't point fingers at others. Question, are we pointing fingers? You know why? Because when everything will fall apart in your life, it is so easy to point fingers at others than to take responsibility for your own action. It's so easy to say, you know, my parents did this. I am in this mess because they didn't bring up in me, bring me up in a, in a, in a, in a, in a godly environment. Oh, it is they who did this. My brother did this. My sister did this. They always called me names, 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 names. Good for nothing. That is the reason I'm good for nothing today. It could be well true in your life. But will you take responsibility for your action? Will you be the first to change? <laughs> you see, he didn't ask Bathsheba to change. He didn't ask anybody to change. And he didn't, he didn't even say, you know what? Lord, what about that person? He said, my son. That's the second thing. So don't hide. Second thing is, take responsibility. Third, against you and you only. Think about it, no? Okay, I'm going to give you this example one man of God gave. You're a very good girl, okay? Very good Lata and very good Hannah. Okay? Good Lata, good Hannah. One day, good Lata gives one spank to good Hannah. Punch on her face. She starts bleeding. And I'm looking at this entire situation. Good Lata, you did this to good Hannah. I forgive you. Hannah will look at me and say, what? You forgive her? I should be the one who's forgiving her. Right? Think about it, no? She sinned against her. Who should be extending forgiveness? She should be extending forgiveness, not me. Now think about it. Who harmed Uriah? David harmed Uriah. Who harmed Bathsheba? David harmed Bathsheba. Who should be extending forgiveness? David, I mean, Uriah and Uriah and Bathsheba should be extending forgiveness to David. But you know what God says? David says, I didn't sin against them, Lord. I sinned against you. I need forgiveness from you. I need forgiveness from you. Because every sin, however small it is, is against what? Evil in God's sight. Every sin is evil in God's sight. Every sin is evil in God's sight. You know why? Because those days, for, for a king to take somebody else's wife is no big deal. Oh, big deal. Uh, Abraham said, Sarah, sister, finished. Take and go. No problem. Otherwise, they'll kill me and take. Habimelech, Isaac, to Rebecca, please tell. Otherwise, they'll kill me and take. 
Those days was like that. And nobody would say, yeah, it's not, it's normal for kings to, 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 to kill uh, somebody else and take their wives. It's absolutely normal. So in the sight of the world, it was normal for people to have this kinds of relationship. You know what David is saying? It is Lord not against anybody. I sinned against you. And because of that, I gave the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, a chance to blaspheme. You know what he was saying? He was saying to all the people, you know what he was saying? God, he was saying to, through David, he's telling to all of us, it might look up absolutely right in everybody's sight. But if it is not right in God's sight, it is sin. And it might look absolutely wrong in everybody's sight, but if it is right in my sight, it is absolutely clean. Ultimately, I am the one who decides whether which is right and which is wrong. Because you know why? Because we are in, living in a generation, Judges chapter 21, in those days, there was one, no king in Israel, everyone did what? That which was right in their own eyes. Look at Proverbs chapter 30. Powerful. Proverbs chapter 30 verses 11 onwards. There is a generation that curses its father and mother and does not bless its, curses father and does not bless its mother. Is that a generation we are living in? Yes. There is a generation that is pure. In their own eyes, it is not washed from its filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. You know what? There is a generation which does whatever they think is right. But you know what David is saying? He said, Lord, I have sinned in your sight. It does not matter what people say, what kind of a justification they say. If it is wrong in your sight, it is wrong in your sight. And I have sinned against your glory. I have sinned against your holiness. Third thing, sin is sinning against God. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 3 verse 4. Certainly not Indeed, let God be true. Let every man be a liar as it is written that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. God is always right and we are always wrong if we don't walk in in the way that he shows us. And whenever we sin, we sin. God doesn't have to change. We have to change. Okay, that's the next one. Let's quickly look at the other characteristics before we Finish. It says in, again, Psalm 51. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me know, make me to know wisdom. You know something, the reason why I'm sinning, the reason why I'm lying is not, I don't become a liar because I lied. I lied because I'm a, is a huge difference. Because, it is not because I'm sinning, I'm, I become a sinner. I am a sinner and therefore I sin. There is something deep inside of me. One man of God gives us a very interesting example. He says, you know, uh, you look at a pigs in wallowing in their mire. You, you see that it happens in, in Hyderabad a lot. Monsoon rains, you have a drainage on the other side. Drainage overflows. Have you seen that? Drainage overflowing many, many times. And suddenly you will see in this drainage, you will find this huge pig enjoying itself. And you will see like, said, yeah. Drainage water, monsoon water mixed. And this fellow is enjoying. And you will see a worse sight. In that same water, you will suddenly find three or four piglets coming out. And getting nursed by the mother in the midst of the dirty water. You know why that mother could wallow? Because it was birthed like that little piglet in sin. Birthed like that. And we have a congenital disorder deep down inside of us. We are sinners in our comb, in our, in our, in our, in our very, very being, in our innermost being. And we have to recognize that. 
What we should recognize is this. You know what actual humility is? This this is humility. Romans chapter 7 verses 18 onwards. For I know that in me, what dwells? Nothing good dwells in me. Don't ever think that, you know, God chose you because there's something good he saw in you. God did not choose Jacob because he saw something good in Jacob. No, he saw, he chose Jacob in spite of Jacob being such a deceiver. And all his life he was scheming. Scheming, 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 trying to deceive his, his, his brother, deceived his brother, deceived his father. Wanted to gain wealth through deception and blessing through deception. Jeremiah chapter 13 verses 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Or the leopard his spots, then may also we do good. Those who are accustomed to doing evil, that is something deep down inside of us. We need to recognize, you know what David is saying? Lord, God, deep down inside of me, there is a nature, Lord, which causes me to sin all the time. Yes, you are forgiving me all these sins, but deep down inside, if you don't do a deep work inside of me, I will continue on this path of sinning. That is repentance, where you acknowledge there is nothing good in me. Let's move on. So what should you do? Purge me. Wash me. Make me hear. Hide your face. Purge me. Wash me. Make me hear. Hide your face. What is purging me? And what is this hyssop? You know what hyssop is? Hyssop is that small piece of grass where the Israelites, when they were getting out of Egypt, just on the day of, when the, uh, the death angel was passing. They had to take that hyssop, dip it in the blood of the Passover lamb and apply it on the doorpost of the house so that when the angel of death passed over, it would look at the blood and pass over. You know what David is saying? Lord, I take the blood. Who's this lamb? Jesus, by faith. I take the blood, I dip that and I dip it on the four doorpost of my house so that the punishment that was due me can pass over me. And I acknowledge that. That's the first step. Hide your face. Wash me. Make me hear. Joy. You know one thing? How do you know that you need repentance? First thing, the way you can check is, is there joy gone from my heart? When I come to the house of the Lord, am I looking forward to meet God? How do I know that I'm looking forward to meet God? Let me tell you. Do you come on time? Do you come on time to church? See, it says, I was glad, very glad, when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. You know what is it? Hurry. What time is the service? Uh, 9 o'clock. I should be there by 8.45 at least. Very glad. I'm looking for it. And the people drag themselves to church. And that is because we keep on saying, come on time, come on time, come on time. But you know, you know what, unless God deals with you inside, do a deep work in you, you will not be looking forward to coming to church on time. You know why? You're coming to church on time, not to meet the fellowship, not to be, not to impress your pastor. You are coming to God because you love him and because you have, you have joy and gladness in your heart. That is how we know that you have deep repentance. For all of sin, and fallen short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance. What did God do? He passed over all of our sins. 
God became for us so that he can do a work in us. He became for us first. Then, moving on. Psalm 51. What should you do now? Now that you are forgiven, there is a nature inside of me which will continue to sin. So what should you do? Create. (laughs) Don't repair. Create. Remove that heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Remove it, Lord. You see, most of us, we like our old lifestyle. We love it. We we want God to do a cosmetic surgery. God is not looking for a cosmetic. He says, you know what? Get out everybody. Okay? Like the, like, uh, I was there in the operation theater with my child, my younger daughter. Uh, I was asking, will it hurt? Will it hurt? He said, please get out. Of course it's gonna hurt. Of course it's gonna hurt. So please, can you step out? He said in nice language, please stay out. No? Uh, get out. We have, because we don't, we, we, we want to, we, we, I was saying, can you just give us some laxatives and get it out? Please flush it out. No. This has to be plugged out. I have to do that. I have to remove it. And you know what God, has, God is saying? I have to do an open heart surgery. I have to cut that heart off and I have to replace it with a heart of flesh. You know, you know how they do the open heart surgery? Uh, this is a good inspiration for people who want to do robotics. Okay, They, cre- they have a robotic heart. There's a heart muscle. They have to repair this heart. You know what they do? They, for the time being, make this robotic heart to move like the other heart. Stop it for a minute. This robotic heart will be doing all the functionalities that the heart is doing. So it's pumping all the artery, blood through the arteries and they will stop, do the surgery and then again replace it back. That's exactly what God says. You know what I should do? I should put you to sleep. I have to cut you open and it is going to what? Hurt. Let me tell you something. If your repentance has not hurt you, I do not know if you have repented. It will hurt. It will hurt. Because the old heart is deceitful about all things desperately wicked who can know it. What God's saying is, you know what? I have to do a heart transplant. I should remove the heart of stone. I should give you a heart of flesh. And that is going to hurt. That's what happened to David. You know what? It hurt him. And he said, Lord, David, the sword is not going to depart from your house. Lord, do it, Lord. Do it. If the sword, if it takes a sword to to write your law in the deepmost parts of my heart and on my mind, do it. And after that, you know what happens? After that, David will never ever sin in that area anymore. And when he is old, they get this lady called Avishak, the Shunammite, to warm him in his bed. And, and the scripture says, he never knew her and he never touched her. You know why? God did once and for all one work which hurt. That is how God writes his law in the deepmost parts of our heart. And God has to cause us to hurt first. And if you have not hurt, then we have not repented truly. And we don't say, and we don't say, Lord, write your laws. It's not going to, it's not easy to write, right? Have you ever seen somebody writing on something? It has to happen. Otherwise our repentance is not genuine. It's not deep. It has to pain. 
Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Renew a right what? Spirit. Look at the word. Spirit. Steadfast spirit in me. Do not take away your Holy Spirit. Take me away from your presence. And do not take away what? A Holy Spirit from me. In my spirit, which has become separated for you, from you do a deep work, Lord. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Cause me to walk in your ways. Hebrews chapter 8. This is the new covenant. You know what it says? Hebrews chapter 8. For in this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind. And what will I do? I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. None of them will teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. That is how you repent. When God begins to write his law on your minds. You know what happens? That time, from that time on, it will become a delight for you to obey the law. It's not going to be a duty to obey the law. It will become a delight. Think about it, no? What what does Psalm 1 say? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but, ah, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that he meditates. You first delight in the Lord first. The delights have to change. You will start delighting in doing good. And what it says in, in Romans chapter 5 verse 11. It says not only so. More than that. You joy in God. You that hated God. Now begin to enjoy God. Because of that deep work that God is doing in your heart. And you know what? With all the pain that David went through. One thing he never experienced. He never experienced a separation of the presence of God from his life. Even when his son was pursuing him. He experienced God all the days of his life. Because of genuine deep repentance. And that is the reason why he had the hope. What was the hope that he had? I will not. He will not come back to me. But I will go to him. You know why he had that assurance? Because of his deep repentance. Let's move on. Finally, Hebrews chapter 5, uh, Psalm 51 verse 12 onwards. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted. You see, unless you are genuinely converted, you cannot speak about genuine conversion to others. Simple, no? Do you know your God? Can you testify about the works that God did in your life? Deep works that he did in your life. How he dealt with you? Do you have a testimony of being confronted by God? And that's exactly what Paul had. Every time he went there, he would talk about the way God met him in his disobedience. And the way he changed him. And every time people would listen to the testimony, either they would get converted or they would just run away afraid or they would get hardened. See, people, we think about ministry without restoration of joy, without repentance. Let me ask you this question. How many of you, from your heart, spoke about what the work that God has done in your life, and when you spoke it, people were afraid, or people were converted? Do you have a genuine testimony of the work that God has done in your life? You will not have a genuine testimony unless God has done a deep work in our lives. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Huh, look at this. You are our what? Epistle. Written what? In our hearts. Known and read by all. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ. Ministered by us. Written with ink. Not with ink. But with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets, tablets of stone. But on tables of the heart. Okay. Let's move on. 
Oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice. You know something? The easiest thing to do is to give money. Is to do good works. That is what a lot of people do. They try to do good works and try to earn their salvation. You do not desire sacrifice. Or else I would give it. I'm a king. <laughs> what kind of sacrifice you want? 1,000 lambs? 1,500 bulls for burnt offerings? Easy, to, easy thing to do. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Isaiah 57 verse 15 will say, For thus says the high and lofty one, that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. What a promise. You see, the God who is absolutely, eternally holy, the only way he can come and have a, what do you call a relationship and a fellowship with us is through a humble and a contrite heart. The way you can connect to God is not through agarbati, but you can connect him through a contrite heart, a contrite spirit. That is how you connect to God. A humble spirit and a contrite heart. And situations and trials in our lives have to lead us to that, that end where we humble ourselves before God. A time for us to examine church, examine ourselves. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. You know what God David is saying? I sinned against you. All the walls in my life, gone. I've opened the door for the enemy to come and my life is an absolute mess. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. With burnt offerings and whole burnt offering. There's a time for sacrifice. There's a time for Offer giving to God, but only after you have given your heart to God. That is the reason why we tell in our church, if you have not given your heart to the Lord, the Lord does not need your offering. That is the reason why it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 5, they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to the ministry. There's a time to examine ourselves this morning. Because David's repentance was so deep, he had the assurance in his grief. His grief caused him to repent. His grief caused him to turn to God. His grief did not cause him to become bitter. His grief did not cause him to become angry. His grief did not cause him to point fingers at others. He took responsibility and he took responsibility for his own actions and he did not hide his sin. And this morning... Maybe God is teaching us as a church to genuinely, truly repent. Repent from the bottom of our heart to judge ourselves with an iron fist. You know what it says in in Matthew, he says, Matthew chapter 6, he says, do not look at the mole in your, whatever, that small thing in your brother's eye, when there's a huge plank in your own eye. Judge severely with a plank in your own eye. Then you will be able to clearly see the small specks in your brother's eye. Specks in your brother's eye. Judge ourselves with, a, with an unfaithful Lord. This morning, when I come into your house and you have caused these situations to happen in our church, I don't want to take this for granted. 
I don't want to let go of these opportunities to come to you and radically repent of my sin. Be absolutely open in your presence. I'm telling, I'm telling you young people, don't take things lightly. Don't think everything will be honky-dory in your life. Nothing is going to happen. Oh, there's a long time to live. You never know. Nothing is guaranteed. Nothing. Some of you are thinking we are postponing and postponing and postponing and postponing and God is sending situations and situations and circumstances in our life and it says in Proverbs chapter 28, he who is often rebuked and he does not change, you know what's going to happen? He'll be cut off without remedy. Once and for all. Yes, we grieve as a church, but we look at our heart and say, Lord, Lord, show me, Lord. Show me and give me that gift of repentance. I can only speak. We can only read the scriptures where the Spirit of the Lord has to encourage and prompt us to repent. Can we all stand this morning in the house of the Lord? Please, all of us. I would like the worship team to come this morning. Can we all, again, the Rishi and the worship team come? Worship team. Rishi, Abel, Priyanka. We'll just pray, you know, I just, I, I want us all to pray, okay? I, I, we'll just sing a song, we'll sing that create in me a clean heart, oh God, again. And after that, that, after that is sung, just come out clean this morning in the presence of the Lord. If you've been pointing fingers at others, if you've been hiding your sin, If you're saying, Lord, why should I be the first to change in my family? Why can't people change? I know it's not going to be easy. Salvation is not easy for I mean, Genuine repentance is going to cost us. It will cause us pain. It will cost us. But we have to come out clean. Either we have a reputation before people or we have a reputation before God. Either we have the honor of men Or we have the honor that comes from God alone. Either we laugh now and moan later or we moan over our sin now and then when he comes there is joy and gladness in our lives. And truly it says Elijah was a man just like us. But when he prayed three and a half years no rain And when he prayed, the heavens opened. He was a man with like passions. And we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Don't don't say, okay, Lord, I'm better than the other person. I'm better than the murderer. I'm better than the wife beater. I'm better than the thief. And don't just comfort yourself and console yourselves that way. Our standards are different. Scripture says, even if you are angry with your brother without a cause, if you hate your brother, if you have lusted after him, in your heart you have already committed adultery. We don't have to wait till like wait like David to commit adultery. We deal with it in our own heart. We deal with it in our own self. We ask the Lord to come into our hearts and to come into our lives. 
Lord, give us that gift of repentance. Genuine, genuine turning away from sin and turning toward you. Genuine mourning. Have you repented of the standards that we have compromised to? Yes, we may, not, we may not be committed adultery. We may not have committed adultery even in our own heart. We may not be angry with others. But do you just see the kind of standards that the church, early church lived? The way they gave to their brothers and to their sisters. They didn't hold anything back. And if we are complacent and happy in our own compromises, don't we need to repent? We read the scriptures and we see Jesus doing miracle after miracle and we don't run after miracles. But do we have the faith and say, Lord, what you did to that brother, if that time you're the same God, you're able to do it. Do we have the faith? Have we repented of our unbelief? Are we happy because we listen to good sermons? Doctrinally thorough sermons, theologically right, but there's no life. When it comes to compromising on little, little things, we compromise like Jacob. We don't think twice to lie and cheat in our office, to our bosses. Have we cheated on our taxes? Don't we, don't we need to repent? If you search your heart, there's no condemnation, my dear brothers and sisters. There's only conviction. There's conviction so that there can be conversion. And only genuine repentance will bring genuine conversion. And genuine repentance is wrought because of genuine conviction. And genuine conviction happens when we uphold the righteousness and the holiness of God about anything that we feel in our own lives. The standards that God has kept in the scripture. Uncompromising. Have we repent of our prayerlessness? That we find prayer such a heavy, dry exercise that we need to call somebody to ask them to pray for us? Have, have we broken through? Have we cried out? Have we lost that fire for God? Do we have that love that we had when we first came to the Lord of passion? Nothing mattered but the presence of God in our lives. The passion that we had for souls, the passion that we had for His name, the passion, the humility that we had, the passion that we had for the church, the passion that we had for coming to the meeting after meeting and loving and enjoying His word and now it becomes an exercise and we come to church and sleep and we have not repented of it. Maybe God is waking us up out of our complacency of our comfort zones. We take things for granted. We take our spouses for granted. We take our children for granted. We take health for granted. We take provision for granted. Do we? Do we? We are more worried about our earthly comforts then our burden for lost souls. Once you pass the death, there is no coming back. And how many of our own people have not known the taste of salvation and they are going to an eternity 
without God? And do we, are we broken over that? Do we repent of that apathy? Is there no need for repentance? Can we teach transgressions God's ways? How can we? Unless God has dealt with our own heart. How can we have an assurance? You are so concerned about about but authority, positions of authority rather than coming under submission. Maybe we should. And God is waking us all up. What are our value systems? What are our value systems? Where do we put our money? Where do we put our time? Who is important to us? Are we like that? unrighteous steward. Scripture says in Luke's Gospel chapter 16, the sons of this world are shrewder than the sons of light. Are we faithful with unrighteous mammon? Maybe we have to have an encounter with God and we can humble ourselves. God doesn't have to deal with us strongly. He can just, we can ask God for conviction. We can change. We can humble ourselves. And we can say, Lord, grant me the passion to come to you. Let it hurt, Lord. Let it hurt. Let it hurt, Lord. Let it hurt, Lord. Let it hurt. No sacrifice is too small. No sacrifice is too high. Because you deserve everything, O oh Lord. And I have held back so much from you, O oh Lord. Because I want to build my own petty kingdom. I want to repent of that. I want to repent of that. This morning, just let's spend some time in your own heart. If the Spirit of the Lord is convicting you, just in your place, just worship and say, Lord, praise Him and plead with Him and say, Lord, do a deep work in my heart. Do a deep work in my heart. Do a deep work in my heart, Lord. Do a deep work in my heart, Lord. Do a deep work, a genuine concern for my brother. This is how we know. 1 John chapter 3 verse 16 will say, We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers because he laid down his life for us. We don't pick up our lives. We lay down our lives. And that is only possible when God has dealt with our heart. And when he has taken away the heart of stone and has given us a tender heart, a heart of concern for others, a genuine concern, not an emotional high, one day we are high and the next day we are gone. No, a consistent passion for him. A passion for his, for his kingdom, for souls, for souls. Maybe you should ask God and cry out, let the fire not go. If I, if it has died down, Lord, if it, if I become dormant, if I become, if I become lukewarm, Lord, pray, Lord, that you would ignite my passion back for you, O Lord, for that first love that I had for you. I want to repent of it, O Lord. I want to love you, O Lord, with all of my heart. Lord, grant me that love. And he promised, he said, I will circumcise your heart so that you may love the Lord your God with all of your heart. But that circumcision is going to hurt us. But we are willing and say, Lord, yes, Lord, even if it hurts, Lord, do that, Lord, do that, do that, Lord. We're sick and tired of living an absolutely docile life. Father, we want to be on fire for you. Father, grant us grace. Enable us never to forget why you have given us what what we have. Some of us have have been gifted with so many things. 
but you have lost that passion for God. You have gone back cold and you know it. The Spirit of the Lord is telling you. When you are asked to pray for somebody, you just don't pray. You don't feel like praying. There is no sense of urgency. Maybe we should. You don't catch that vision. You are not in tune with the Spirit. Maybe you should ask God to break our hearts. And genuinely repent from the bottom of our hearts this morning. Do a deep work in our hearts, Lord. Do a deep work, oh Lord, in our hearts. Father, this morning, Father, we just confess our sins. Confess our apathy. Lord, deal with our heart. If we have become cold and insensitive, Father, break us. Stir us up, Lord. Please, Lord, do it. We don't want to be dealt with harshly, but Lord, in your gentleness, you said through Jeremiah, don't deal with me in your anger, Lord, lest I be brought to nothing. Before you can show your anger, Lord, we want to humble ourselves and we say, Lord, deal with us. We want to change, Lord. We want to change our focus, O Lord, on the things of this world. To you. Father, touch, Lord. Touch all of us. Yes, Rishi, can we sing, Create in me a clean heart? Create in me a clean heart, O God. Spirit within me, creating me a clean heart, O oh God. Ready, right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O oh Lord. Take not your hope. From me, restore unto me the joy of your salvation, and ready right spirit within me, and ready right spirit within me. Cleanse us, Lord, cleanse us. Can I have Sister Rama, please, if you can come? Brother Shaiju, if you please, if you can come and lead us in prayer and lead us in prayer. Pray, please pray for Apu. Even as we come together as a church, let us uphold her in fervent prayer. Salvation belongs to our God. Praise and glory, wisdom and death.
situation, every situation in our lives, O oh Lord, and especially this morning, once again, O oh Lord, just bring before the upper, O oh Lord, O oh Father, touch, Lord, touch, Lord, mercy, Lord, mercy, Lord, mercy, 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 Lord, mercy, Lord, oh, Jesus, Jesus, mercy, Lord, mercy, Lord, oh, God, do a work, O oh Lord, in their lives, O oh Lord, a miracle, O oh Lord, we believe, O oh Lord, that you are the same God who parted the Red Sea, O oh Lord, who struck Egypt in their firstborn, O Lord. Smote them with ten plagues, O Lord. You brought them out with an outstretched arm, with a mighty and outstretched arm, O Lord. And we release your arm, O Lord, in the lives of your young people, even now, upon Raj, O Lord. Touch, Lord. Touch, Lord. Heal, Lord. Heal, Lord. Heal, Lord. Heal. You know what is needed, O Lord. Heal, Lord. Oh, Jesus, send forth your word and heal, O Lord. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father. Enable us, Lord, as, as a church to continue to pray, O Lord, and intercede, O Lord. This is the hour of need, O Lord. Let us not be found like the disciples, sleeping in our stupidity, O Lord, in vain pursuits of pleasure. Lord, enable us to be alert. Enable us not to be rebuked by your son, saying, couldn't you not keep awake for an hour? And pray. Enable us to be found interceding in prayer, in praying in our secret closets of prayer, O Lord. Until, O Lord, a deliverance is wrought. And we will stand still and we will see the salvation of the living God in our lives. We speak that in the name of Jesus, in the lives of Apu and Raj. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We speak that in the name of Jesus. We thank you. We praise you, Lord. We worship you, Father. We give you glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.